Good. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, like Al says, um, I'm, yeah, I'm a student here at Oxford. Uh, so just down the road, Simple College, just finished my first year of history. Um, at the moment, I'm back home. I'm at vacations in Birmingham, uh, so which is why I'm not around. Uh, but yeah, I've been in uh, OCC ever since I was a fresher during my first week here in Oxford. And like, I've been amazed by your welcome, your community, uh, your love of God and your passion to change the sea. So uh, yeah, well done. <laughs> uh, if you don't know me, then that's undoubtedly my fault and not yours. Um, so yeah, totally. Come speak to me during the teas and coffees. And yeah, I'll get to know you, uh, especially because I've got no student friends around tonight, so, today. <laughs> I'll need a few friends, if that's all right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, good. Um, So I think we, yeah, I'll just read out the psalm that we're going to be looking at today. Al asked me to to talk today, and after some careful consideration, I chose Psalm 22. So it goes like this. Um, My God, my God, uh, here we go. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you don't answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises, and you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I'm a worm, and I'm not a man. I'm scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They'll hurl insults, shaking their heads, saying, He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax. It's melted within me. My tongue is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes amongst them and cast lots in my garden garment. But you, Lord, don't be far from me. You're my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword. My precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship and all who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. 
Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim the righteousness, declaring to his people, yet unborn, that he has done it. Good. Mm. So yeah, um, it's pretty good. It's a good psalm. Um, there's a lot in there. <laughs> Um, yeah, Al asked me to talk to you today on this psalm. Um, yeah, I picked Psalm 22. Um, yeah, I'd just like to, as a side note, the story about how um, Al asked me to do this is quite quite interesting um, because we met up for coffee like a few days after the whole leadership handover was announced in church. Um, and I remember, like, I mentioned something, you know, on the offhand about maybe having a gift for preaching and teaching. Um, and then a couple of like weeks later, I get a text off him, and I'm sitting outside, out the back of work. Uh, I work in the pub. I'm sitting out the back, eating my sandwiches. I get a text that's saying, uh, yeah, can you speak at OCC sometime? Uh, and I was like, okay, that's... It's kind of a big deal. That's uh, a big church. They're, they're used to Steve Jones's preaching. Most of them are Oxford educated. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to do that. Um, anyway, I'm sitting there and I start to pray. And this woman, she comes up to me. And I've never seen her before. I haven't seen her since. Uh, but she said, um, oh, I, I saw you working behind the bar. And I just... Uh, I just thought that I had to tell you that you need to have more confidence in yourself. Um, even though you're like unsure about yourself and you're, you're, you've got like the, the head of a 19 year old and you are 19, right? And I was like, yeah, that's a bit weird. <laughs> um, yeah, you could, you could have like the wisdom of a 45 year old and you shouldn't be so worried. Um, so she walks off. And I'm like, right, <laughs> thanks for that, God. <laughs> um, um, yeah, so I've got to do this. Um, so basically what I'm saying here is, like, even if I don't know what I'm doing this morning, like, for some reason, God does. So, uh, yeah, let's do this. Let's actually get down to the psalm now. <laughs> um, so Psalm 22 was written by, written by King David during the 11th century BC. Now, that's about a thousand years or so before Christ. However, this psalm, along with the two following it, um, really give us a real insight into the unchanging character of God. Now, in Acts 2.30, Peter uh, basically tells us that David was a prophet. Uh, yeah, it says that he was a prophet. He knew that God had promised him an oath that would place one of his descendants on the throne. Um, and yeah, in the book of Psalms, these three psalms, Psalm 22, uh, 23, 24, give us a series of prophetic images of God from different views. Um, now, somewhere later on in the series, uh, we're going to be looking at the famous Psalm 23. Um, and hopefully I'll be able to give you some of the background and the basis for that today. But essentially, in Psalm 22, if we... Come down here. In Psalm 22, we see Jesus as our Savior. Um, you know, the guy who's, uh, he's the deliverer of mankind. Then through his willingness to come and save us, uh, we see Jesus in Psalm 23 as being our shepherd. Um, the guy who loves us and cares for us and leads us. Um, then finally, having bought our salvation and served us as our shepherd, in Psalm 24, Jesus is our King and our Lord. So essentially, we've got these three images of God as the suffering Savior, the caring shepherd, and the mighty King. 
um, I was talking to um, uh, Claire before the service, and somehow it, it went beyond me to call the king the sovereign and get a bit of alliteration in there. Um, so I missed that one. I do apologize. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I'd like to start off by talking about Good Friday, um, if you just come down. Um, yeah, Good Friday, it's a day I really enjoy. Um, at my church back home, we do, uh, so it's the Friday just before um, the Sunday on which we remember Easter and Jesus rising, and the Friday is when we remember his death. Um, at my church back home, we do this walk of witness where um, we get uh, some of the youth to get across, and they, they all walk out from church, and all the rest of the church follows behind them. And we go all the way through the town center, and we like stop occasionally, and we have some Bible readings and some songs. And uh, yeah, it's a whole load of fun. And then we all get back to church eventually for some um, hot cross buns, which is a big highlight of the whole occasion. Um, yeah, it's a load of fun. It's a great witness. We're spreading the word in our community. Um, so yeah, but... I mean, often it can seem a little bit distant from, you know, what was actually going on on the cross. Um, and it's only really where you start to, like, ask yourself questions like, you know, what did Jesus actually feel like? That you start to get a bit more at that, that truth of what was going on. Do you know? Was, was Jesus just broken? Was he a failure? Did he think he was defeated? Did he, was he just in overwhelming pain and agony? Or was he rejected and alone? On the flip side, do you reckon he felt like he realized this was the crowning moment of the king, that this was his ascendance, his coming in glory, a moment to send shockwaves throughout all time and all humanity, and he was right at the center of it? Well, Psalm 22 comes as close uh, as anything to giving us some of the answers towards that. Um, and that's partly because of the prophetic links that we see in this psalm between this and the crucifixion narrative. Um, so yeah, I'd just like to stop and clarify some of those. Uh, the first one is in verse 1. Uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, which is what uh, Matthew and Mark record that Jesus said whilst he was hanging on the cross. Uh, in verse 8, we see... Um, yeah, let the Lord rescue him, let him deliver him since he delights in him. Now, those are some of the exact shouts that people watching Jesus be crucified were, like shouting at the king, um, uh, yeah, on that day. In verse 15, um, yeah, we see my mouth is dried up like a pot's herd. Um, and if you know the crucifixion story, like um, some, they give him a, uh, I think it's a sponge that's dipped in wine vinegar um, because he's thirsty. Um, so that's another link. Uh, the last two are in verse 16 and verse 18, where you see they pierced my hands and feet, obviously. And uh, yeah, they divide my clothes amongst them and cast lots of my garments, which is recorded by, I think, all of the, the Gospels um, as happening. Um, so yeah, let's, let's look back at the start now. Um, if we can go there. <laughs> um, yeah. It's a bit tough, isn't it, <laughs> to begin with? Um, and yeah, I promise you that it does actually get better. Do you know, it's not all suffering and doom and gloom. It does get better. So uh, yeah, but those first two lines, it's a bit difficult to, to get over them, to be honest. Um, now, David, he was going through some intense personal suffering, uh, almost undoubtedly. But 
what he's going through, he's multiplied it by like a thousand just to try and get at some of Jesus' pain. And that's probably done either consciously or subconsciously. Now, uh, yeah, it'd be quite easy for me to hear get into some to get into some sort of uh, theological discursive about all the ins and outs of um, yeah Jesus on the cross and what that actually means for us. Uh, but you'll be happy to know that I'm not going to do that, and I'm going to try and keep it simple. Uh, basically, on the cross is the ultimate um, outworking of God's uh, perfect justice and His unending love. Essentially, in his perfect justice, God requires a penalty to be paid for all the sin that we as humans are constantly uh, involved in. But in his love, God was unable to punish us eternally as we deserve. So therefore, God sent his son to bear our sin on his shoulders. And in John 3.16, oh, there we go. John 3.16, we see, uh, yeah, that's what that, that famous verse is getting at. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, that whoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. Um, yeah. So there's still that question. What was Jesus actually going through on the cross? Well, the first sort of answer is obviously a whole lot of pain. Um, now, if any of you, if you've been Christian for a little while, you've probably already heard a talk about the sort of practicalities of what crucified men were going through. Um, and it is, it was an absolutely horrific form of punishment, uh, with a long drawn out, uh, painful death. But even this, uh, sort of physical pain would have been really little in comparison to the emotional distress that Christ was going through on the cross. Um, now my dad, um, He's not a very touchy-feely sort of guy. He rarely laughs out loud. I don't think I've ever seen him cry, to be honest. Uh, and this makes him like really frustrating in arguments because like, whilst me and the rest of my family were all like shouting and getting all heated, and my dad just stays calm and he sits there and he just gives you a response and we always lose against him in these arguments. It's awful. Um, now, when we were kids, this took on a whole new meaning because... Uh, if we if we ever came home and our dad was angry at us, we knew that we'd done something wrong and we were in trouble. Uh, basically, this is a, a similar sort of thing where Jesus faces the wrath of his father. Um, and when you remember that, that father is the mighty creator of the universe, then that's a whole lot of you know, wrath to be facing. However, unlike uh, me and my sisters when we were kids, Jesus had done nothing, absolutely nothing to deserve it. Um, so for a man who uh, was walking intimately um, with God his entire life, and we remember time and time again, um, you know, he goes off and he prays alone and he spends good time with his father. Um, to go from that to facing the full anger of uh, his father on the cross, I mean, that would be a worse pain than, than death, to be honest. And that's pretty much what those first two verses here are driving at. Um, you know, why have you forsaken me? Um, so yeah, let's just jump back to the start. And uh, I promise we'll get on eventually. <laughs> um, but yeah, David's examination of Jesus' suffering can also reach down into our trials at a day-to-day level. Now, I've had that feeling time and time again where I've sat in my room or I've sat under a tree or whatever and I've said, God, you know, where are you? <laughs> I keep on praying to you, but I see absolutely no result and no response. 
Um, and uh, yeah, I think David gives us like the perfect model of a reaction to that sort of times when God is feeling distant. In verses three to five, he goes back and he reminds himself of, of his past experiences and those of his ancestors and the ways that God is good. It's not his nature to stay, to stay far away and not answer our calls. I also think it's quite refreshing that David still refers to God as my God. He doesn't, he always realizes that God's there. He never questions God's existence or God's goodness. Um, which is quite unlike me. Often, like when that happens and God feels far away, I just go, well, you might, might as well not exist, God. So I'm going to do things my way. And then I get myself into a whole lot more trouble as a result. Whereas David also always stays true to his God. However, what he doesn't do, and if we move on to verses 6 onwards, he doesn't play down his his experiences. He doesn't say everything's good because God's here. He says, he tells his father what's going wrong. Now, this is just like a kid who's been bullied at school. He might run home and tell his dad all the all the names that he's been called. Um, and yeah, David, he just, he's fronts up. He says, I'm going through some really tough stuff, God. I want you to help out. Um, and we're in familiar territory here. Do you know, that, that verse, verse 7, they hurl insults at me. That reminds me of how many times that we as Christians, do you know, we get, we get told about talking to our imaginary friends or that magic man in the sky. Well, this is the same sort of thing, to be honest. Um, yeah. So let's, uh, I just want to look at verse 6 as a side point, uh, where there's a really quite surprising claim, to be honest. Um, unfortunately, Steve isn't here to give us some of his biological wisdom, um, but I'm pretty sure that David uh, was a man and not a worm, and so he must be talking in a metaphorical term here. Um, but uh, I'd just like to have a cheeky look at Jonah 4.7. Um, now, if you know the story of Jonah, uh, you'll know this verse where it says, but at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. Now, basically, this worm was absolutely essential for God in teaching Jonah a lesson about God's love for creation. So what I'm trying to say here is that even if you feel like a worm and not a man, then God can certainly use you in whatever situation you're in. <laughs> uh, yeah. So let's jump on to verses 12 to 18, uh, where, yeah, David really expands on his suffering and what he's going through. Uh, now, if we move to the next slide, um, this, this pain, it's like inhuman what he's going through. It's like the strength of bulls are trampling over him and the savagery of lions. He says he feels like his strength's been sapped and his heart's melted away. Now, we see this sentiment elsewhere in the Bible, in uh, Joshua 2.11 and Ezekiel 21, verse 7, where it always reminds us of the utter and complete dread and fear um, yeah, that's, that's going on inside of somebody. Now, I'm currently, or recently, I've been studying the book of Genesis. And yeah, this part, it really reminded me of the story of Joseph, who's this guy, he's, I mean, we've all seen, you know, the Technicolor Dreamcoat and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, he's this guy who's battered and he's bruised at the hands of his brothers and he's been sold into slavery. Yet he, like Christ thousands of years later, had to undergo that lowest path of suffering in order to attain the glory that God had in store for him. 
Now, in verses 12 to 18, uh, David raises up his suffering to God. And he always, he's always asking God to draw near in verse 11. And between verses 19 and 21, he's calling on God to, to come back to him. And that's the exact same thing that Joseph would have done thousands of years before him. And what Christ was doing after him, constantly saying, God, you're far away, but I want you close. I need you close at this point. Um, so now, yeah, at this point, I think it'd be appropriate, um, yeah, to give giving a talk on uh, suffering uh, in our world today. I mean, that it would, just wouldn't be right to not talk about what's going on in Iraq at the moment. And, like, we're hearing some absolutely horrific stories about that place. Um, there's all kinds of stuff going, uh, going on there, you know, forced, uh, forced conversions, fines, uh, people being put to the sword. And, yeah, it's definitely somewhere where we need, we absolutely need to keep that place in our hearts at the moment and keep on praying for them and giving them as much support as we can uh, that they will stay strong and stay true to their guards and ask God to draw close to them at this time. Um, if you can, um, make a financial donation. Uh, they definitely need it. And I know that um, Christian Aid and Open Doors are starting up uh, fundraising campaigns for, for the, what's going on in Iraq. And uh, yeah, there's petitions online to try and get our government to do something about that and st- take a stand. Um, write a letter to your MP, do anything, because those people who are going through suffering like really, really need our help at the moment. Anyway... Um, Onto a lighter note, the final section of uh, this psalm is somewhat different. And yeah, it's what we've all been waiting for, to be honest. Yeah, David's prayers, they've been answered. All his previous suffering is just a blip in comparison to this future glory, this universal festival of praise. Um, now, me and my, my parents, we've been watching back the, the Star Wars films lately. Um, and this, this, this section really reminds me a bit of the, of those last scenes in, uh, episode six, The Return of the Jedi, where they, all the streets are full of partying and praise because they've destroyed the empire and all's good in the world. Now, that's, this is, that's sort of what this is gonna be like, but better, um, when we're living in that eternal paradise, you know? Um, verses 22 to 31 talk about a great banquet um, to which all the poor and everyone is going to be invited. Um, and that's something that's reflected elsewhere in the Bible in Isaiah 25, 6 and Revelation 19, 9. We read about this massive great banquet, this great party. Now to me, it seems that this point, this final section, is where the psalmist's eyes were always fixed. You see, without this section, this psalm would be a complete unrelenting tale of misery and woe and suffering. But with this section, this psalm is the joyous story repeated time and time throughout human history, whereby suffering, enjoyed with eyes upon the future, is rewarded with God's glory and, yeah, heaven coming down. So those two questions remain. Um, what was Jesus actually going through, and what does this all mean for us? Well, in terms of the first, um, I imagine that Jesus probably approached this, uh, his suffering on the cross, in the exact same way as David's. You know, he knew the context of those words that he was shouting out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was going through complete and intense suffering, 
but he must have seen the future glory that lay ahead of him. Do you know, he said to the other criminal, we'll see you in paradise quite soon. He must have seen that heavenly banquet opening up and he laid his trust in those future glories, those things unseen, not in his earthly or mortal salvation because he could have taken himself off the cross right there and then, but he laid his trust on what God was going to do in the future and what's going to await. Now, in terms of us, um, you know, how does this all relate to our suffering? Well, a good place to start is reminding ourselves that Jesus has already won our salvation. Uh, that's, that's fantastic. Uh, second, uh, yeah, we should try and follow what David was doing. We should remind ourselves of what God's already done in our lives and in those of our relatives and ancestors, reading the Bible, etc. Uh, and that's where good journaling comes in, um, which I'm very bad at. Um, yeah, what else does David do? He tells God, and he's completely open about his sufferings and his difficulties. Um, again, that's something we should look to do. We should constantly ask God to draw near again, and even if he feels far away, call him, call him back into your lives. Uh, finally, we should look forward to and put our trust in, our, in the future and the things unseen and those glories that have been won. So, yeah, I'd like to end on that note. And it's, it's a pretty good one, to be honest. Uh, I hope all that suffering and uh, bad times was worth it. Um, yeah, I think if any of this happens to have maybe affected you deep down or you feel like moved by any point in this service, then we'd love to, have, uh, to pray for you um, towards the end in these last few hymns. There's some fantastic uh, people at the front here. We'd love to listen and pray for you. Uh, but alternately, if you're a bit more like me, and I prefer to uh, yeah, stay in my seat and take down some notes about um, what I'm going through and just talk it through with somebody that I know and love later on and get them to pray for me. Um, so if you're like that, then I'd say this is the point to get out your phones, your diaries, grab a piece of paper and a pen and just write some of that down and make sure that you get prayed for uh, during this week. So yeah, this sort of if you feel like you've been moved, especially by this uh, uh, this talk or whatever's gone in this this service, then either come to the front for prayer or make a note for it and talk to someone that you know and love in this next week. Good.